Former Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau famously said, Living next to you, the United States, is in some ways like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly and even-tempered is the beast, if I can call it that, one is affected by every twitch and grunt. Now, Pierre Trudeau said that in 1969, 55 years later, it feels more like sharing a bed with the bloated carcass of a blue whale, hoping it doesn't do that thing where it explodes on the beach because it's filled up with too many gases, but it's a whale we love. And it's a whale that serves as an inspiration to so many of us here in Canada. So many of us have lived in that whale and have family in that, uh, you know what, actually, I'm losing the metaphor. Let's regroup. America, I love you to death. But I do sometimes worry it will be to death. You're such an exceptional place. You're 4% of the world's population and 40% of the world's Nobel laureates. But you're such an exceptional place. The only wealthy country where you can die from lack of medical care because your credit card has declined. The only place that routinely sees mass shootings. You're polarized. Red states and blue states, or if you prefer, red countryside and blue cities. But you're spectacular. You gave us pizza. No, they, they didn't give us pizza. Sorry. Gave us denim. No, no. Gave us basketball. No, that was actually Canada. Yeah, Canada did that too. And the craziest of all inventions, though, Stephen, I think you'll agree, American democracy. An inspiration and a fascination for so many of us. Four years ago, we did a little experiment. We, a group of Canadian political strategists, said, let's talk about America and the 2020 U.S. election. We did, and it was mostly super depressing. But it forced us to contrast your system with ours. It forced us to think about democracy on a more foundational level. And it forced us to look at what is almost certainly our own future. Because as is often the case, what happens in America happens here 10 years later and five times crappier. Sometimes, because we sleep in the same North American bed with you, you beautiful bloated whale of a corpse. I guess we sleep in the same bed with Mexico too. We're kind of a power throuple. We kind of forget how unique you really are. So it's also a chance to talk about what makes America, America, and what makes you different. That's just you. And this is You the People. I'm Stephen Carter, and that was Corey Hogan. Welcome to You the People, where today we talk all things Iowa. Caucasus, or Caucasia, is a transcontinental region between the... Between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, <laughs> mainly comprising I, I, I don't, Armenia, I, Azerbaijan. I don't think that's the. Oh, for fuck's that's sake! Not the Chat GPT. I knew I should have upgraded to Chat GPT four. <laughs> oh, hang on. Can what do you do? This is like a welcome okay, to keep going. you, the people. Where today we talk all things Iowa. Well, not all things. We will not be talking about the Democrats, Joe Biden, or even Dean Phillips, his quote unquote challenger. Nor will we be talking about the world's most famous anti-vaxxer in the Kennedy family, Robert Jr., and of his quest to take over the world by taking a right-wing approach to democratic politics. So that leaves the Republicans, Ramesh, Nikki, Ronnie, and Donnie. Let's go! It's you, this the is, people! This is scripted, Carter? Is that what we just heard? Did you that like was that? scripted, Carter? I just did a radio that show. That was okay. I was on a radio show for yeah, the I, Public I heard. Network. Okay. No, was, and it kind Very of inspired nice. me. I felt like, you know what? I know how to do this. <laughs> I was like, All right, let's Steven. do it. Let's do it, baby. You know who we don't have with us right now? Uh, and we don't have Zane. We don't have Zane. We don't have Annalise. We have a problem. I didn't even... Yeah. You didn't even think of it. No, Annalise. that's okay. This is... 
Uh, I, you know, I did think of Anderlings. I was going to say I didn't even think to send Zane the link, but that's okay. No. He wasn't available anyways. He's busy. Let me tell you something here. You, my friend, have been keeping very current with American politics. I have not. I have yeah. actively not yeah. been. So you're going to carry the water in this one here, but I feel like I can serve a useful... Um, challenge function uh, on things like when you talked about the caucuses being the mountains for example i knew that wasn't what we were talking about I got, so i can do things like that i went to chat gpt episode. because as you know i forgot to write my intro and um yeah yeah i, I do actually know that i <laughs> it didn't didn't generate that's what a I, real thing that happened yeah that's a real thing that, that happened. so yeah. i fucked that up uh pretty solidly but okay. you know what? i feel good now well, that's okay I feel good all right well that was you teed us up good uh, we had, of course, the uh, Republican primary in Iowa, first in the nation caucus, super early, it kind of felt like, but here we are. Well, These things creep up on you. Do you want to right? know why the Democrats didn't have theirs? I, like, how much have you been I mean, paying sure, attention, I, I, right? Like, I think vaguely the Democrats changed their schedule so that you wouldn't necessarily have these super white, super small states determining the field. Is that not the case? That is the case. I mean, it turns out that a very white state has chosen Donald Trump, but uh, uh, they didn't want a super white state choosing, uh, you know, President Biden. So we're going to go South Carolina first for the uh, for the Democrats. First in the nation yeah, for the Dems. Yeah, it's going to be great. Well, and and they did. They chose Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Man who was almost, well, who was impeached and was just acquitted by the Senate twice. The man who tried to take a run at American democracy mm-hmm. in uh, 2021, which is not that long ago. The man who is under four indictments. Well, no, has gotten, four different sets of indictments. Uh, yeah, totaling that's, a total that's of There's actually quite a few over charges. 90 uh, individual <laughs> indictments. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's... That's why I'm here for you. That's a lot of, yeah, that's, that's good. Where did it land? 51% of the vote? Yeah, it was basically 51 to to 20 to 20 to 19. It was, it was very close. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikki and uh, Ronnie uh, all but tied. Ronnie wound up in second. Nikki wound up in third. As per my prediction yesterday or on Sunday. I actually don't feel that that was your prediction, but who's going to run the tape? Who's going to run the tape? Who's got the tape on that? No one. Who's going to run the tape? Who's going to go get that done? No one. (laughs) That's a lot of work. But 51%, I mean, on the plus side, he got more than his competitors combined, right? Donald Trump got more votes than than all three of the other competitors. I mean, we can can count uh, the fourth, but he's already dropped out, uh, whose name escapes me. But... You know, Vivek Ramaswamy. No, he didn't drop He's out gone. yet. He's... Did he drop out already? Vivek? Yeah, he dropped out yet last night. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. You're supposed to be our Asa subject matter Hutch- I was thinking of Asa here. Hutchison, which is very exciting. Yeah. Asa's gone as well. So, Oh, see, I missed I missed that big news. Yeah. I missed that big that news. Was so big I thought news. Asa was still rocking so, and rolling here. I was actually shocked to find out he was still in it. Uh, when I saw his withdrawal, so I was shocked to hear that he exists. Yeah, uh, thirty seconds ago when you mentioned him. Yeah. So well, that was the uh, we're yeah. all going through a lot. Right so now. on the one hand, these are th- these are essentially four nobodies, right? Like this is how Trump has portrayed them. There are four nobodies, but they got forty nine percent of the vote, and he got fifty one. The question has to are you okay there? That wasn't the big pop that we usually it's an get. American the good soft one. drink. Yeah. No, I know it's um, an American soft drink. But what I don't understand is is. Everybody's talking about this being a huge victory, but is it really? He's basically the incumbent. He's basically 
the the guy who's supposed to be running away with this, and he's up against Ronnie and Nikki. Like, is he really supposed to get more than fifty one percent, or not get only get fifty one percent? Also, as we mentioned, ninety charges he's fighting right now. Yeah. Also, I think I did mention the whole insurrection against American democracy thing here. Oh, yeah. There is a case to be made that he shouldn't be anywhere near here. And in fact, one of the things I think is super interesting about this is this time last year, Donald Trump's nomination looked less in doubt than it does after the Iowa caucus, right? Donald Trump was not that much up on, uh, you know, Meatball Ron, as he was lovingly nicknamed by Donald Trump. And Nikki Haley was, I think, in the race, but so deeply speculative where she would end up and certainly not polling the way uh, Ron DeSantis was or uh, Donald Trump was. By the way, I think the first time we said Ron DeSantis's last name, you know, oh. Ronnie, Meatball Ron. Yeah. Yeah. I think we Good have been guy. seduced by uh, by Don, the, the Don and his uh, nicknames. So, Well, all I'm saying is there is an argument to be made that 51% way better than he deserves. Well, I think deserves is an interesting phrasing. I, I think yeah. deserves is is fascinating because I don't think he deserves to get more than a couple percent. But here he is. And uh, I think th- I, I just bring it up because I think that both sides of this of this coin could be argued, right? Like, I think that it's relatively easy to say, um, you know, he's running away with it. I, I think that that's a relatively probably true statement, just a simply a simple truth. He is, in fact, running away with this. But I also think it's equally easy to say that for someone who's running away with it, he's running away very, very slowly. I, I imagine that has something to do with his girth. <laughs> well, let me even go a little bit further and say it does to me seem like this might even have been the best case scenario for Donald Trump, mm. because you had Nikki Haley getting a bit of a late surge. There was some suggestion maybe she could consolidate that DeSantis vote behind her if she could put some distance between her and DeSantis. And she came in third, mm. which was just enough with prevailing narratives to make it look like DeSantis is going to go and fight it out a little bit more. And so Donald Trump, who got, as you mentioned, almost exactly half of the vote, now the other half of the vote is still split in such a way that he will likely come up the middle, which, by the way, is sort of what he did in 2016, right? Yeah. In 2016, he managed to win, especially under the Republican rules at the time, a whole bunch of primaries that were winner take all with not that much of the vote. And so Donald Trump, once again, continues to land and butter and have, I mean, I don't know. I usually say at this point, you got to be good to be lucky. He's not fucking good in any kind of sense of the word, but he is uh, he's got a command of the Republican Party that's really quite something. He, he certainly does. And, and that command does not appear to be waning. Well, I think what's really going to be interesting is that Nikki Haley is com- more competitive in New Hampshire than she was in, uh, in in Iowa. Will she actually get that bump that I think was available to her if she'd beaten Ron DeSantis? You know, especially if she'd beaten her yeah. by three or four, does being w- within one point enable New Hampshire to do what New Hampshire does, which is clean up from Iowa, right? Like they, they seem to think that <laughs> Iowa leaves a bunch of, hor- you know, cow shit all over the cornfield and uh, New Hampshire, the, the grown up in the field needs to clean it up and actually do the first primary and bring in the, 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 the real winner, keeping in mind, of course, that it's been a long time since the winner of the, the Iowa Republican primary has actually gone on 
to win the actual nomination for the Republicans. Maybe this is a great, uh, a great harbinger to, that something bad is going to happen to Donald Trump. Like, I don't know, jail. It's just, I mean, yeah, like again, 90 criminal charges against him. Maybe. One of the things that I think is really interesting about Iowa and in general, the American approach to the primaries as we go through this is this kind of geography divide that they do, which I don't know of another country that takes an approach like this. Certainly, it would have to be a big geographic country Mm -hmm. and a democracy. And that kind of just leaves us. And we certainly don't do this this way in Canada, right? Yeah. But I, I struggle for an example of when you give such outsized prominence to a geography within a federation and and the effect that that has had i think over you know the many years of americans doing this is something i i don't know why they do it and i don't know why they take it for granted and i don't know why it's always the same approach and we already talked a bit about how the democrats are trying to shake that up but their idea of shaking it up is okay we'll go to the the first diverse state yeah. on the calendar like they're still following the standard calendar that they always do like south carolina is always very early in this thing here well, I think that the, the big challenge is that they value states' rights differently. And by challenge, valuing state rights differently, states get to set the rules, and those rules are going to vary significantly from state to state. Um, so we don't have that valuing of provincial rules. The uh, Australia doesn't have that valuing of the state's rules. So this this becomes a unique situation, but there is a perverse outcome. If, if, if the United States continues to call themselves the leader of the free world, the leader of the free world is a, you know, we all expect something from them then, right? So we all are invested in American democracy. That's why we do you, the people, because we're all invested in this American democracy. And from outside, it looks weird to do, let's do Iowa. I mean, the equivalent would be, let's start with Prince Edward Island. You know what? We're going to start with Prince Edward Island. Those potato guys, they've got this shit also, down. Pota- potatoes, small, white. Yeah. Right? Actually, it's a pretty nice comp. Yeah. yeah. And so we're going to get Prince Edward Island to go first. And then if Justin Trudeau can hang on, then we're going to jump right into New Brunswick. And New Brunswick's going to kick some ass because New Brunswick is filled with the... It was the first time we're introducing a little bit of French, right? And then we're going to go into <laughs> one of the big provinces. Yeah, then we go hard. But, you know, okay, well, maybe let me make the argument, maybe that would be better. Maybe you would get an opportunity to really understand a politician on a retail level before you move on. And isn't that always the argument they make about why Iowa is supposed to be such a, you know, any country is just, fuck, not just any country, any person, if they do something long enough, a family does something long enough, it takes on this veneer called tradition oh isn't it nice and isn't it quaint but we make justifications for why this happens and the big american justification for why they go to iowa first and give it its first in the nation status is it it forces the candidates to go through the retail politics grinder a i could ask you does that matter in a country of over 300 million people i'm not sure but but let's go to b and let's say if it does in a country of 300 million doesn't this make the most sense to pick a small state and do something like this? Sure, sure. Absolutely not. No, you're totally wrong. Uh, here's why. <laughs> because you only get the retail experience if you're in Iowa. If you happen to be in Iowa, if you happen to live in that state, then you ha- then you have access to the retail. Or if you happen to be in New Hampshire, you know, and then you get the retail. I mean, one of my very favorite books about politics is a fictional book called Primary Colors, the kind of, kind of 
covers the the Clinton nomination process through New Hampshire. And you can see, you know, that level of retail politics, man, I fell in love with that type of politics. But that type of politics doesn't exist. It's not real. Run a candidate for mayor. And I will tell you that there's a, you know, running in a, in a city of one and a half million people is damn near impossible to do retail. So even this retail of we'll go to Iowa and there's only a million people, that's bullshit because you still can't be retail with everybody in the state. You can do more retail, but you could do more retail if you had a year run up to uh, to California. You could still do some retail. You could still like we do retail in in Calgary of a million and a half people. We do. Uh, uh, you know, six months of retail. There's lots of opportunity to do retail. It's about time, not necessarily the number of people. Well, so this does get to kind of the the nature of these primaries in a different way. America, you don't really ever seem to want to change the way that you approach this. And yeah, there's the states' rights components. And yeah, the Democrats are kind of playing around the margins with this. But is it possible that they're just kind of a little too enamored with their system and how it is, and they're sort of avoiding some of the obvious challenges with it here? Like, why are we even talking about whether a bunch of Iowa Republicans, and it's a caucus too, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe we'll get into the difference between a caucus and a primary in a second here, but it's even fewer people. So a bunch of Iowa Republicans kind of feel like they're determining the course of the entire fucking country at this point, and... Well, it seems a little weird, doesn't it? We've called out so many candidates already, right? So many candidates are called out before you get anywhere vaguely representative or anywhere that's actually going to change the Electoral College, right? And the Electoral College, Corey, you know, it's not like we're in love with the Electoral College. We, we're we big fans of like, I don't know, adding up votes. But this this Electoral College is going to dictate everything again, and it's going to New Hampshire and uh, Iowa, even South Carolina, aren't necessarily the ones that are going to be the, the 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 states that change the electoral college outcome. Uh, so we're losing candidates one after the other in places that aren't going to make any difference to the overall uh, election outcome in November. So I'm not I'm not going to belabor this, but I want to play a little bit of the Zane Velji role here and make you do a little work. Oh God! I think we could kind of both agree this sounds this is a weird system. Like at least from the outside, yeah. right? Like Americans, you you know you've got your traditions and you you've sort of figured this all out. But from the outside, it looks a little weird. If today somebody said, "Hey, we're we're going to create this new thing called the United States of America." There's 50 states. They're all a little bit different. Uh, we're going to have to choose president. And I'm, you know, don't monkey with the electoral college yet. Let's not open that. Let's save that. You know, let's save that for sweeps, right? <laughs> you're doing primaries, you're doing caucuses. What are you doing that tries to do the same things they at least purport to want to do? Like to have an opportunity to actually get people to meet the candidates, to have that retail experience. So it's not all just how the candidate is packaged and the air war, and they're also like kind of you know, cello wrapped and hermetically sealed or however you want to say it. How do you, how do you build that experience in a way that makes more sense in the primaries? You know what I would love to do? This is, this is crazy talk, but I'm going to talk crazy because I can. Um, I would pull from a hat uh, 20 congressional districts across the country. And I'd say, there's our first primary. 
and then I do the next twenty. That, okay, that's that's twenty million people. So maybe just pick like no two. Well, but why? Why would we do that? Why would we pick two? If we pick twenty, then we're looking at I think somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, twenty-two overall primary dates, and that would be a you know you wouldn't necessarily need to do them all, but you'd have. Uh, you'd have a growing primary capacity. And because it's randomized, you're going to have candidates who will do well in some of those 20, and you'll have candidates that will do poorly in some of those 20. And that's going to make it a far more representative sample of what the American people actually want to see. But just pick 20, or you could, you know, I think that picking anything lo- smaller than 10 is going to give a non-representative sample. But if you, but in anything like 30, it's just like, well, why don't you just do fucking California then? Right. So, but by picking 20, you're essentially like, I was going to suggest, well, why wouldn't you just pick a median state? Well, by picking 20 at random, you're essentially picking a median state. So here, I mean, that would be a huge state, I just want to say, but well, I think your idea is garbage. Thank you. Just a garbage idea from a garbage person. Really great idea from a really good person. You've given me some thoughts here, which I'm sure are not new to the world but what if you took kind of the same approach but you did it okay the first one is going to be on january 15th yeah and we're going to randomly pick one congressional district and a week later we are going to do an additional two congressional districts randomly picked and you sort of ramp up in that way so you still allow and maybe you have more time between the first and the second contest maybe you play with that a bit but you have that randomness. You still have like a smaller geography. You know, a congressional districts like eight hundred thousand a million people depends on the state, mm-hmm. right? If it's a small state, right? what about that? Like, what if, what about a version where you're building to something bigger? And so instead of Super Tuesday being a whole slew of states, it just happens to be when now you're getting into serious numbers of states, and the operation has to expand. Love it. Let's do it. Let's make some calls. Who do we know? Um, okay. And, and here's why I love it, Corey, is because. It builds, right? And because it's random, when when uh, Jason Kenney was taking over the, uh, the the Alberta Progressive Conservatives, one of the questions, one of the things we demanded of the Progressive Conservative executive was a non-randomized control of when these uh, delegate selections would happen, um, because the delegates were obviously going to be super important in this leadership race. Uh, the or actually, I think it was the actual convention, but it doesn't matter. Um, if you chose them to be against Jason Kenney, then you would decline his momentum, right? His momentum would be taken away from him. If you made it so that they were supportive of Jason, he would immediately get insurmountable momentum. But by randomizing these congressional districts, by randomizing where they could be, what you're doing is you're you're not you're minimizing someone's ability to have overwhelming momentum just by the luck of the draw. You're minimizing it and you're allowing others to say, well, I'm not even going to bother competing in that one. I'm going to wait till the third week and compete in these four, right? And that could be really interesting because now we've got dynamics and we've got everybody in the world, in the country paying attention to certain small areas. I love it. Let's do it. Make a call. Okay. America, that was a free one. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, the next one's going to cost you, but this one was free. Let's talk New Hampshire. Okay. So we could talk about, well, listen, we're going to come back to Iowa. I want to talk a little bit about what happened in Iowa uh, on a bit more of a granular level in a minute. But now all of these campaigns run into New Hampshire. 
You. You're our subject matter expertise expertise guy. You're the yeah. subject matter expertise guy. Or, or expert. That's how you say it. Or, uh, no, or ex- subject yeah. matter expertise guy. You're right. That's who you you're are. You're right. Yeah. What now? Talk to me about the differences between Iowa and New Hampshire. Talk to me about who's got momentum. Give me the Stephen Carter take about this. Well, I got some questions. New Hampshire is very much like Iowa insofar as it's about who has operations. And the operation that uh, that DeSantis put in place was primarily focused in Iowa. The thinking being that if you come out of Iowa with momentum, you'll be able to go into New Hampshire and really it doesn't matter how much uh, activity you've done in in advance. It's this new momentum that carries you forward. And we've seen that. We've seen that in elections that I've done. There's elections that, well, you haven't done any that actually generated momentum, but you've seen momentum and that momentum will pick up and it will it will create something bigger. So DeSantis was a momentum guy. Well, Haley was a let's put in the work gal, and she was putting herself in a place where she could win in New Hampshire, almost regardless of what was actually going to happen in Iowa. Well, will she win in New Hampshire? Uh, There's been polls coming out that have her in the, uh, you know, eight to 10 points behind uh, Donald Trump. And there's a question. The question is, did he win with enough to give himself the momentum or does Nikki Haley have the ability to create some sort of an upset? And I think upset now doesn't even require a win. It's probably requ- it only requires being within five points. And then South Carolina, where she's also got a significant operation because that was her home state, that becomes the, you know, the real question is, is she able to carry both of those things forward? So operation matters because operation versus momentum. And then the ability to carry that momentum into really the first populist state where diversity will matter um, is going to be fascinating. But right now it looks like it's Trump who's going to be carrying all of them. So who who knows? Maybe well, he wins it all. That's It's too bad because I did hear somebody make a prediction a couple of days ago that Haley would come in second, go into New Hampshire, and then kind of just lock these things up in South Carolina. It, it sounded good. It was a good story. Like that. Was it Zane? Fucking Probably Zane. Zane. Fucking Zane Belgian. Yeah, that does sound like Zane advice yeah. there. Yeah, now that I think about it, it was posed as a question that went on for about 25 minutes. So yeah, that sounds about Zane. right to me here. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been Zane. All right. So Nikki Haley is doing well, or at least in some of these polls in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron DeSantis, of course, will be turning his focus. He'll be running up to New Hampshire. He'll be trying to do these things. We are talking a lot about Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. They're both fighting for second. Everybody's back from Donald Trump, as you were saying here. Yeah. Are there dynamics in New Hampshire that make it more or less dangerous for Donald Trump? I told you we were going to talk about the caucus versus primary difference. With a caucus, essentially, you are going, especially in kind of the Iowa case, to like, in some cases, even people's houses. And you're getting together. That's the caucus. And you're determining who you are going to then vote for. And you elect basically delegates in that room under certain rules that allow you then go forward to bigger meetings and so on. And then you get to the state convention and that determines the delegates. So when we get all of these nice delegate counts on nights like this, and we weren't really subjected to them this time because Donald Trump just had such a commanding victory. It's often kind of with an asterisk, like they haven't quite figured it out yet. It'll depend on how these other you know subsequent meetings shake out. But my point would be this. They are political meetings. Where you're choosing the candidates, yeah. right? 
We're- they are a meeting. They are a meeting of party members. That's a caucus. When you talk about a primary, you're talking about voters going the same as they would in an everyday election, and they are marking an X next to a name on a ballot. They're often even using the same infrastructure that would be used for the various elections held by the state, right? Right. So how do those dynamic changes, now that we're going from like kind of the crazy zealot party members to a more generalist population, how does that play into the whole Donald Trump well, let's go back to one of your first first points, which was it's it's about being in someone's home or being in a small venue and having to speak aloud what it is that you feel um, when you're speaking aloud, when you're in the group, uh, when you're walking to one side of the room versus the other side, you are you know showing everybody who your choice is. And in showing your choice, you are. Uh, essentially in, p- impacted by group dynamics. Um, that group dynamic may have favored Trump in Iowa. We don't actually know yet because we haven't seen whether or not it has impact in New Hampshire. But in general, group dynamics uh, are about peer pressure, right? And peer pressure may find themselves, you know, people may find themselves voting for Trump because their peers are voting for Trump. Now, I'm not saying that 100% of the Trump's vote was peer pressure, but maybe 8% was. I think. Right, a hundred would be weird. Would be like weird. everybody's being peer pressured. But yeah. but if four uh, percent or you know, overall four percent, and it moves to Haley right now, Haley's uh, polling average in New Hampshire is uh, twenty nine point three, and Trump's at forty three point five. If that closes up to essentially thirty five and forty, well, all of a sudden you got yourself a much different ball game. So New Hampshire, when it's just you walking into that polling booth and it's just you with that machine or you with that ballot, it fundamentally, it's, you know, they say it's you and your God when you walk into the, into the polling booth. It's more true in the United States, I think, than up in Canada, but here they're walking in and they're the ones who are going to make the decision. And maybe, maybe they have a harder time making a decision for someone who's facing 90 plus counts. All right. Interesting. I'm going to throw kind of the counter argument, which is it's easier to vote for a guy like that when nobody's watching, right? Now, I know what you're going to say, like, because the majority were with Trump, that doesn't really hold much water. That seems to be the socially acceptable thing to do. But in a way, like, don't you think that there's a bit more of a, you're really going to vote for this guy at some of those caucus meetings? Yeah, I wish there was. I, I really do. Yeah, okay. I really wish there I was I wish there was a uh, you're really gonna vote for that guy feeling, but um yeah, they are and they believe because again, there's a there's a significant confirmation bias going on in the United States where they have chosen to believe certain uh untruths. Um I was gonna say half truths, but they're not even close to half truths. Hey, don't you don't you judge our American friends like that? Uh I think gonna, I will. They're going to think bad about you. I think I will. But I like I like. We Americans. love you guys. I like Americans. They're great people. They're just modestly, modestly deluded at this point. And only half of them. So that's not too bad. I mean, I was modestly <laughs> deluded through my entire university career. But that's fine. Yeah, fair ball. It's fine. Uh, so here we are. And I think that in the overall scheme of things, um, Donald Trump, you know, is right now... It's easier to be subject, you know, to follow along with peer pressure than it is to imagine that people are going to be like, oh, finally, I'm free to choose Donald Trump uh, now that I'm alone in the voting booth. But again, time will tell, Corey. We'll, we'll know in a, few, in a couple short weeks. 
So here's the last thing I sort of want to ask you about the New Hampshire-Iowa difference. And I'm going to use this as a bridge to get back to Iowa for a minute. Then I want to talk about the Democrats for a minute here. Issues. We haven't said a thing about issues yet. Um, And my observation would be, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not, that a lot of the conversation in the United States, in the primary in particular, I'm sorry, the caucus in Iowa, and now as we go into New Hampshire, has been almost what I would call meta-political conversations, right? Who can win? Should this person be there? Are we going to be able to exact revenge on our political opponents? Doesn't actually seem to be rooted particularly strongly in the issues of the day, right? Like how people feel about, um, you know, for example, I'm not going to say these issues haven't come up at all. That would be entirely false and easily falsifiable. But you're not seeing sort of the same conversations about immigration and taxes and spending as opposed to each other. Like they'll, they'll take a round of the Democrats for all of those things. But you don't seem to see a lot of issue daylight. And certainly issues didn't seem to drive the conversations in Iowa from my very distant, very aloof perch. And it doesn't really feel like they are in New Hampshire either. But maybe that's not fair. No. What's the state of play of actual issues in these two elections? I think it's totally fair, Corey. I think that, you know, the issues that people are talking about are actually the issues that no one wants to talk about. Um, you know, gay, the, the, the immigration issue, no one has a solution for it, but they are trying to pin it onto Joe Biden. Um, the, uh, the, the abortion issue continues to come back. But again, it's, I don't think it's the, the Republicans aren't certainly embracing that and saying, here's what we're going to do. Nikki Haley did do some uh, some work around the abortion issue and, and, and articulating a, I don't want to say moderate vision because we're Canadian and it still sounds like uh, hellscape. But um, there, there was some moves by Nikki Haley to address some of the bigger issues. Uh, but there hasn't really been any issues by Trump, nor has there. Trump's been instead bashing Biden, doing his regular speeches, talking about how great things were when he was in charge and how great things will be again without ever describing really what those things are. I mean, there has been some talk that the economy was better. Interesting, but not necessarily true. And there's been uh, talk about the Supreme Court and how you know, Donald Trump was the the one who ensured that the abortion access would be denied. That's fascinating, but it's not it's not true issues in the way that we've come to expect them. Where someone was, for example, unveiling a significant policy, um, the politics of brand, which you and I have talked about on on the the the, the main strategist podcast uh, a thousand times, that politics of brand has really taken hold in the United States, and I don't see it giving itself up. Uh, anytime in the future. Well, we're back in Iowa. We took a little trip to New Hampshire. It was cold. We went to Iowa. Still cold. Still cold in, in Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, I thought that the cold Still might cold have some impact. It did. It did not. No, yeah, you, you did, and you were wrong. You know, Donald Trump made some comment like, "Go to vote, even though it's cold. Even if you die, it's worth it." Which was weird. But let's set that aside. He yeah. says a lot of weird yeah. things. Just wanted to make sure that was on the record. I am fascinated by Iowa for another reason. You've already mentioned not a huge population in Iowa, right? Mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis famously in this campaign had 99 campaign offices, campaign operations. I don't know if they were actual physical storefronts 
or not. You might know that, but uh, I don't. But 99 for a state with a population of just, what, over 3 million people here? I'm trying to think of what, well, I can think of the comp. We live in a province here in Canada of 4.8 million people. It's not dramatically different. 99 operations across the state of Iowa? Yeah. I'm, Talk to me about that scale. I think that the the way to think of it would be, you know, 87 constituencies uh, running a campaign. The, you know, Iowa, the, 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 the former Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, you know, was infamous for the way he campaigned. And the way he would campaign is to do what they call now the full Grassley, going to all uh, all 90 of the the different, uh, or whatever the number is, uh, number of constituencies or organizations. Yeah. Uh, or, Counties. Uh, yeah. You're using words better than me right now. You got these nice, they've got these nice square counties. Yeah, the counties, the counties were individual and, and they'd go to them. And people have a real strong connection to their county in the same fashion that we would have uh, a strong connection to our, a small town. Um, this is where they were born. This is where they grew up. This is where their farms are. This is where their economic activity happens. So going to where people live, to quote Nahadenshi, is a very valuable part of doing politics. And so DeSantis, who was really doubling down on the idea that he had to do very well in Iowa, decided to essentially model the full Grassley without recognizing that part of the full Grassley was actually being, you know, charismatic. Um, so if you if you eliminate charisma, it, it feels like the full Grassley just doesn't have the same impact. Okay, well, I don't want to entirely lose the fact that you talked about 87 ridings. That's for a province of almost 5 million people and for a state of almost 2 million fewer people, let's say 1.5 million fewer people, you're talking 99, you you would be really hard-pressed to find an operation in each of those. Like, we combine operations in this province all of the time between ridings. And this is for, like, Not the successful party, party These are Corey. That was the one you were working with. The successful parties <laughs> tended to have, you know, individual operations. But That's just so wrong. Like, every, you know, we have two main parties, and both of those parties had shared offices and operations basically across the board. Well. In cities, for sure. Not when I was in charge. Here's, well, and then you weren't. So, <laughs> I don't know. Causation, correlation, you decide, listener. All right. That still seems like an awful lot, but let's talk a little bit about Ron DeSantis on our way out the door of Iowa, on our way to the White House. Talk about our friend Joe in a second here. Ron DeSantis, supposed to be the great hope of the Republican Party, this guy who was turned a, a purple state red, right, with Florida, and yeah. he you know, was supposed to be this great hope of the Republicans. What the hell happened to him? He put everything into Iowa. Give me your assessment. I think that... Um... Character assassinations continue to work in the United States of America. In Canada, we have a line. You think uh, we have a line, and and we, you know, for example, we crossed it in 1993. You know, this is how uh, how much how strong the line is. I remember when it happened when the progressive conservatives <laughs> made fun of Jean Chrétien and his uh, facial deformity due to a, an, an illness when he was young. That ended 
Um, it was 30 years ago, and we still talk about it in this country. Yeah, yeah. because that became, uh, you know, kind of our 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 red line. We will not cross that red line. Uh, and it makes sense, because if you cross the red line, you have a chance of, of failing. There is no red line in the United States. And certainly there is no red line when you, if your name is Donald Trump. He can literally, you know, keep in mind that, you know, in terms of issues, kind of going back a little bit, Eight years ago, he was talking about Mexican rapists and murderers. You know, they weren't sending us their best. Um, he continues to have that type of rhetoric, and it has not hurt him at all. Not one iota. And so when he starts going after Ron DeSantis, and he starts, you know, the the the, the childhood game of these, you know, nicknames and, and, you know, bringing him down. This is a guy... I gotta tell you. It just works. Got to interrupt you here. Yeah. Meatball Ron is a great nickname. It's a catchy nickname. Was not Donald Trump's first attempt at giving Ron DeSantis a nickname, though. No. What was for the... For $12, do you remember the first nickname he tried to pin on Ron DeSantis? On Ron DeSantis, for how much? $12. Not worth my time. $12. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Ron DeSanctimonious. Oh, that was a good Bad one. Bad nickname. Yeah. No, I think he lost his game on that particular one, but he found it again with Meatball Ron. I thought that was pretty nice. That's good. But That's the catchy. point is that when you have these this uh, uh, character assassination operation, and, and I think that that's probably the best way to characterize it, um, it becomes really hard to define yourself when you're always being defined by someone else. And I think that if we were to transport that to Canada— it would backfire. I think that in a lot of, of jurisdictions around the world, it would backfire, but not in the United States, not right now. And as a result, um, it, it was super hard for Ron DeSantis to, to get, get any traction at all. I mean, he just absolutely was spinning his wheels almost from day one because he, he never got out from underneath the attacks. He never even got close to getting out from underneath. Why the not? Attacks. Why didn't he th- punch back? Because he was afraid to punch back because he had this stupid ass campaign strategy that seemed to indicate that he was going to get uh, Trump's, and you'll forgive me for the phrasing, sloppy seconds. Um, it, <laughs> I won't forgive you for that. You, now I've got that image you didn't forever. Forgive Thank me you. for the slop. Okay. But that was his strategy, right? <laughs> uh, people who like Trump who just don't want that baggage. Well, it turns out the people who like Trump did want the baggage. and And because of that, Ron never got out from underneath uh, the, 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 the caricature that was created of him by Donald Trump. And I would also add the, uh, the Democrats as well. I mean, Pod Save America and Crooked Media uh, never stopped going after Ron DeSantis. Um, I think that the Democrats feel like their best chance of re- reelecting uh, Sleepy Joe Biden is to uh, ensure that their competitor is is uh, Donald Trump, which I think, frankly, is a dangerous game to play. But I'm I think it's a, just some Canadian up yeah. there. Yeah. So it th- feels like an incredibly dangerous game to yeah. play, for sure. Um, I think it's pretty clear neither of us are fans of the Donald. And I, I, we're kind of, you know, we have long positions on this. We have not been fans of Donald Trump for quite some time. Not super shocking. Most Canadians aren't. Although I do want to end on that note when we get there that's a little bit of a teaser for oh, you some good, recent good polling. stuff good stuff yeah right stay tuned is what that means we've been talking about the republicans yeah we're not talking about the democrats is a reason for that the democrats do not appear to have 
a competitive race for the primary. Joe Biden, sitting president, in that sense, not unusual. Sitting presidents aren't usually seriously challenged. But this is an unpopular incumbent. He's he's fairly old by the standards. Uh, I mean, Donald Trump's really old, too. But Joe Biden is fairly old. Nobody really in the race. Why aren't the Democrats having a race at this moment? With the stakes where they are, with with Joe Biden's age being what it is, Donald Trump's age being what it is, with um, the popularity of Joe Biden being where it is, why isn't there a race on the Democratic side for the nomination? Well, I mean, the answer is tradition, Um, because generally speaking, (laughs) did you like that, by the way? That was good stuff. Uh, I did. Generally speaking. Were you doing like a Tevye? Yeah, it was. Was that a Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah, it was Fiddler on the Roof. God, you're, you know, for someone who doesn't like musical theater, you're right up to speed with it. I, I um, do okay, yeah. But the the tradition is to, to to allow an incumbent to to be unopposed through the primary. I mean, we've seen uh, Kennedy took Carter to task. We've seen others uh, try, you know, um, the Christian conservatives of Buchanan tried to take on Ronald Reagan. Um, but in general... It doesn't work, and people feel like the incumbent has the right to a to a second kick at the can, um, and I and I kind of think that they're right. I think that in general, incumbents perform better, and there's all kinds of science as to why that is, but incumbents perform better, and even when they're not polling all that well uh, a year before the election, so I think it's wise for them to enable uh, Joe Biden to run again, but. He's uh, he's not making it easy. The polling is is not good, and uh, the campaign direction is solidifying over the last couple of months. But it it's taken it's taken too long to to under unfold. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Joe Biden. We'll talk a lot more about the Democrats, the Republicans. Everybody else sitting on the wayside as we go through this wacky journey over the next bit. America, you crazy country. I do want to end up back here in Canada, though, for a minute. You know, let's let's get through customs. Let's, uh, you know, exchange pleasantries in French and English with the border guards. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about our home country. Okay. Recent polling showed one in three Canadians would like Donald Trump to win this election. Now, that's higher than I think I can remember ever seeing yeah, on a question like very this. High. I remember at one point, I think it was around 2016, in our home province of Alberta, which is, of course, usually seen as one of the most conservative provinces in the country, if not the most. Although I think Saskatchewan kind of has us on that one yeah, right now. these days, right? Um, I recall Democrats polling around, you know, 70, 80 percent at that point. Now, I think I, the numbers are around 40% of Albertans were supporting the idea of Donald Trump being president again. What in the ever-loving fuck are we supposed to make of that? Well, the growing popularity of Donald Trump after the last eight years. Well, first and foremost, I mean, we've grown very tired with our own progressive government. Uh, you know, that government of, of Justin Trudeau that was so new and shiny back in, in 2015, uh, 2016, as Donald Trump was making his ascendancy to the presidency, that that shiny government has changed dramatically. It is no longer um, this new, exciting thing that we all were in love with progressivism at that particular moment in time. And instead, we find ourselves now, uh, you know, <laughs> 
perhaps a little wistful and wishing for the good old days of the of the conservatives. But the conservatives have fundamentally changed as well. Pierre Polyev has has incorporated elements of Trump's uh, conservative populism. Uh, we've seen the conservative populism take hold ar- around the world. Uh, Europe has has seen a rise in in uh, in right wing populism, uh, which is modestly tr- uh, troubling when one considers uh, the history of Europe. Um, but this is where we are. And the, the changes that are happening in our society do change the way that we look at other groups. So they, we are now looking through different glasses at what is occurring in the United States and coming up with a different conclusion. Um, much the same way that I think that can, uh, Americans are remembering things a little differently than I remember them. And no one is trying to dissuade from that. It's not like Justin Trudeau is trying to change the way that we think of of Donald Trump, he's trying just to keep his head above water. So who's who's our person who's railing against John, Donald Trump? Who's the person? Who's the group? Because it doesn't appear to be media and it isn't the politicians themselves. Well, for the past couple of elections here in, uh, in Canada, one of the things that we perpetually hear is that the liberals, the governing liberals are going to use Trump as a bit of the boogeyman, like the, yeah. the guy, watch out. Pierre Polyev, he's bringing in Donald Trump-style things. Do you think perhaps there's a bit of a wagging the dog here where this has been said enough times, people agree to it, but because they're supporters of Pierre Polyev, they say, well, maybe I like Donald Trump then. Do you think maybe there's an element to that? Do you think it's all about the forget? I guess my challenge with the forgetfulness argument or the like we've moved on, it's not like Donald Trump was particularly nice to Canada. During his four years in government. No, but... Are we just forgetting about that? We forget about that and we put it into a new context. And that context is we like conservatives now, right? We didn't like conservatives back then. <laughs> we, we, were, we were opposed to conservatives. We, we, liked the, uh, we liked the red brand instead of the bl- blue brand. Um, and now we like the blue bland brand, which happens to be the, the red brand in the U.S. And isn't that exciting? It's, it's a different color. And, you know, like... Keep in mind, we're not making really uh, in-depth decision-making on this. This is like uh, if you were to have to vote in some hypothetical election at some point in, in the future that you're never, ever going to vote in, who would you choose? Yeah, fuck it, Trump, right? Like it's, it, there's, there's no consequence to, to saying these words. And I think that that's why some of these words get uttered from time to time. Well, I think we're going to leave that there. I don't know how we end this show because we haven't done it in four years, three years. Isn't it so. a, uh, we do it together and we say, fuck you, Zane Velji. Isn't that? No, for sure. That's not oh, okay. how it I ends because I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine Zane saying that to Zane. Like it just grammatically doesn't really yeah, work. That's true. Right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we just say um, that's. No, that's a wrap is like the strategists. Yeah, so, so 